to upstate New York. This is The Anything Show with John Francois, featuring Andrew Venderton of the Lifestyle of a Gay Black Boy podcast. Now, here's that John guy. Oh, yes, I am that John guy. Welcome, everybody. Sunday, January 30th, as we record this, John Francois here with Andrew Venderton of the Lifestyle of a Gay Black Boy podcast. Joining me on the line from Rochester, New York. Hello, Andrew. Hola. I love it, man. We got a great show coming up for you guys tonight, today, when whenever you're tuning into this. <laughs> uh, coming up later on, we have a conversation with Jack and Joe from the DeRazzled podcast, voted number one in TV and film on the Good Pods podcasting app. Congratulations to them. Also, I'll be speaking to Coach Monica Aldama of Netflix's Cheer. I tried my best not to fangirl in that conversation, Andrew. So if I do, then feel free to slap me like you never slapped me before. Oh, I will with the lollipop. Oh, and then I will eat that with my hairy butt droppings. Ew, that's disgusting. <laughs> uh, coming up for our celebrity gossip, Betty White's last message before her death. We're going to hear that. For Let's Get Viral, we're going to hear a guy that does not believe in sleeping on beds. And for headlines, the spam email that was actually legit. Right now, you can listen to and subscribe and follow and rate review The Anything Show with Jean Francois on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, wherever you get podcasts. Follow us on social media, Facebook.com slash The Anything Show and Instagram and TikTok at Anything Show Francois. Of course, we're also on YouTube. Support for The Anything Show with Jean Francois comes from our good friends at Mel Science. Now, Andrew, it is so hard to find creative ways to keep the kids busy and screen free while stretching their brains, especially these days because, you know, COVID-19, it's made all our brains just go cuckoo. Mel Science, it does all the legwork for you so you can spend more quality time tackling projects together and they will not even know they're learning. Right? Yeah. If you don't know about Mel Science, they send you monthly science boxes that are STEM related. In case you don't know, STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. These projects are not only super fun, but also educational. They come with very clear instructions, and the kids can easily follow them along with themselves because there are pictures and everything. I love things with pictures, Andrew. That's the only way I could graduate from school. Makes it so much easier <laughs> to see a picture of it. What? I know. Uh, each set has a different theme and are catered to different age groups. So you got Mel STEM for five uh, plus. You got Mel Physics for eight years old and plus. Uh, and you got Mel Chemistry for 10 years and older. So discover meaningful screen time with the Mel Screen mobile app. No more rote memorization. Enrich your Mel hands-on experience with virtual and augmented reality lessons and in-app guidance. With Mel Science, there's something from every kid. And for listeners of the Anything Show with John francois Mel Science prepared a special discount 60% off your first box of any of the subscriptions by using the promo code john j-o-n the offer is limited so get on melscience.com m-e-l science.com hurry up start your subscription for kids with hands-on projects an interactive mobile app and live classes with professional teachers all right andrew uh thank you so much to mail science m-e-l science and shall we get started with some wackadoodle headlines today oh my god i hope i have my headlines music go ahead andrew (laughs) (laughs) it's live we'll get to it yeah there you go there's the headlines music oh the music that makes everything go round 
Alrighty, uh, what the hell are we doing as a headline? Oh yeah, like we mentioned, um, this Michigan woman found an email in her spam folder saying she won the lottery for $3 million, and it turned out to be legit! She logged into her official lottery account, confirmed it, and claimed her prize. So now I feel like all those like sketchy Nigerian emails, I'm gonna actually have to pay attention to those, because maybe I will win a trip to the Bahamas and have myself 50 new wives. Yes, I'm a prince in Nigeria. I'm a prince. Yeah. I have a spam email with it, and I have royalty in my blood. Oh, God. So, King Nada Tutu, John Francois on the way with Andrew Vanderton. We're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna just, we're, we're going to claim those 50 wives if there's anything we have to say about it. All righty, we have this new study, Andrew, that just linked un- unwanted body fat to our grandparents' smoking habits. They said specifically that grandfathers who started smoking early, uh, you know, if you like, you know, uh, you know, had a grandfather that started smoking before he turned the age of 13, Andrew, you're more likely to be overweight. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced this with your grandparents. Me, whenever I saw my grandpa, I just wanted to smoke the cigarette itself. You know, my grandpa smelled, smelled like cigarettes all the time. I'm pretty sure he started smoking at like 10 and he always had one of those cool little pipes that shaped like a boat. Oh. And I credit him for me wanting to smoke now. Did he have the smoking jacket, too? And he had, like, the, 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 the very old man kind of slippers, the ones where it shows, like, half of your feet? <laughs> yes. He had the jacket. He had that. He had the table lighter, this big, chunky lighter that would only light a cigarette. Oh, my God. I love my grandpa. Rest in peace. And, you know, maybe part of why he died is because he was smoking so many cigarettes. Luckily, in like fourth grade, Andrew, I found out from my teacher that smoking can kill you. So I uh, am very fortunate that I did not take that road that my grandfather took. Uh, all right, let's see. Oh, my goodness. Let's talk about poop, pee, and vomit. That's a great thing to talk about as you're eating your dinner right now listening to the podcast. There are 96 bags of poop, pee, and vomit on the moon, Andrew. Astronauts from the Apollo missions left them there to reduce the weight of their shuttles so they'd be able to bring back moon rocks and core samples. So along with the fact that there's no air up there, there's another reason why we should not take off our astronaut helmet on the moon. <laughs> I can only imagine what poop that old in space looks like when it's probably irradiated. What if it turned to gold? Oh, oh my God. And then you could sell it in California, home of the California gold rush. And uh, maybe it won't smell anymore because, you know, sometimes uh, and I know this from the the cat poo in in the house that I live in. You know, you you, you let poo just formulate and dry up over time and it turns into a chewy Kit Kat bar. No? Oh, wow. No? I'm sorry. <laughs> I glitched for a moment. Oh. I glitched for a moment thinking about a chewy cat turd toy. Oh, okay. I thought you were <laughs> I thought you were so outraged by my comparing poop to a Kit Kat bar that you were just like, you know what? I'm not going to even speak to this bitch anymore. Forget it. <laughs> I do take offense with Kit Kat's representative, but mm. oof. Yeah. That whole analogy just fit me in a headstand. Oh, Lord. Uh, Andrew, how long do you consider a long car ride? Tell me the amount of time. About eight to nine hours. Jesus Christ, you have a tolerance like uh, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I like that. Well, uh, in a recent survey, Americans actually said 
for the most part, three hours is what they consider a long car ride, followed by two, followed by uh, four. Uh, I mean, for me, it's either two hours or when my ass starts hurting. You know how you've been on a road trip for a long time and you could like feel like literally pain in your butt, like your ass, like the bones are. It seems like they're just shutting down. You know, they're shutting down. They're giving you cramps and you just want to just you go anywhere. Even if it's in the middle of the highway, you just want to stand up and stretch. I know exactly how it feels. I love taking road trips, so for me, being in a car in a long time is not bad. I kind of enjoy it, but after that ninth hour, I'm like, get me out of here, especially if other people are in the car and I can't listen to my music. Exactly. You know, we have a common food related arguments with our significant others. And of course, great. This in time for Valentine's Day. In a recent survey, the most common food related arguments that couples have are where to go out to eat. One person not cooking enough and messing up a recipe. Now, Andrew, uh, please tell me uh, your experience from your uh, most recent relationship or any relationship from your past. Uh, For me, the one that hits home is the one person in the relationship that does not cook enough. That is me. Uh, I am fortunate to have a girlfriend that loves cooking and she seems to be fine with me not contributing any cooking because one, I'm lazy and two, uh, you know, my cooking is like crappy bachelor takeout mess compared to hers. What about you? What, what was the dynamic like in your previous relationships? My previous relationship, one, the biggest one was with my fiance. He would always cook and then expect that I would clean the dishes afterwards and I hated it. I'm like, I don't want to do that. You cook, you wash your dishes, but those are fun arguments. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You know, honestly, I would uh, do dishes any day over cooking because for me, unlike other people, dishes is actually therapy to me. There's just there's there's something very calming and and intimate and solitudious, if that's even a word about washing dishes. So uh, if, if you and I are in a relationship someday, Andrew, uh, please uh, cook a seven course meal and I will wash five days worth of dishes if you want me to. I got you. There's just no more meat. Just so you know. Ooh, there you go. Uh, Red wine. Oh, my God. Red wine. They say that if you drink four to five or more glasses of red wine a day, not only are you an alcoholic, but you also have no chance of getting COVID-19. Now, okay, maybe I should correct that. A 17% chance or a 17% lower risk of not having COVID-19. Uh, and uh, I, I, as I mentioned at the beginning of the last episode of the podcast, uh, my girlfriend, Tony, came down with COVID. As of now, a week later, she is feeling a lot better. I think she's still positive, but pretty much her symptoms seem to be gone. But if she only drank red wine, Andrew, I think she would have been out of the gate and wouldn't have had to quarantine for however long she did. I just want to know what wine company paid for the survey. This sounds like red cat or barefoot Moscato scientist yeah. came up with it. It's Bullshit Wine Incorporated. Brought to you by... I mean, if that's the case, I should never get COVID, ever. Yeah, I guess. All right. Well, you know, we have this 19-year-old guy in England who says he doesn't have nipples anymore, and this actually brings up a good argument about if guys don't like even need nipples in the first place, because obviously we know what the purpose of girls having nipples are for. Uh, But for guys, uh, you know, this guy having his nipples cut off because he had uh, a dare that he felt like he had to accept that involved spraying his nipples with two full cans of Axe body spray. And he says the cold froze the nipples to the point where they just broke off. Um, Look, Andrew, first of all, I do not put anything on my nipples but water. I mean, do you expose your nipples to anything else but water? (laughs) 
Yes. Oh, mind care to share, or is that too X-rated for the podcast? <laughs> um, I mean, Electric Shock is still PC, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're not like literally talking about the electric share in a prison center, sure. I mean, if you're talking about sexual purposes, I guess that's fine. What do you do? Yeah, I mean, I guess in the chair too, you could get a little tingle. Who knows? Yeah, tingle, tingle on my shingle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, I think the moral of the story is: do not use Axe body spray. I don't know if you had experiences uh, back in the day, Andrew, with Axe body spray, but I found that not only is it uh, itchy and makes your armpits uh, you just seethe with sweat, but you also just smell like a sweaty teenage boy, like twenty four seven with it. When I read this, and it said two cans of Axe body spray, the fact that this person had two cans lets me know they are either super young or do not function well in life outside of their house. Yeah, they don't. They don't. They need some help. And frankly, we need to put them in some bell bottoms because that might be a better alternative than having Axe body spray on their nipples. Uh, This next headline, bell bottoms. I guess they're back. Bell bottoms, a big fashion trend back in the 70s. Target, they actually sell, they're they're actually starting to sell like a woman's version of bell bottoms, Andrew, called extreme flare jeans. And I'm really waiting for the men's version because um, I have these jeans. I always have jeans that are just a little bit too big on the bottom pant leg where like it, it, it just goes under my shoe and you have to like end up folding up the bottom of the pant leg so that you're not dragging your feet with your jeans. Uh, and bell bottoms, if I'm not mistaken, Andrew, bell bottoms, they go kind of like slightly above your ankle and they kind of spread out like a dress. I feel like I might be able to rock that. Um, I think you can rock them. I love bell bottoms. A bell bottom pant is always cute, but they already exist. These pants already exist. You can go get them at any store and not pay half your life savings for them. Really? I don't know what store you're talking about. You're talking about like the bell bottoms store of, of Jersey? Well, I mean, I wish there was a bell bottom store. But if you go to Walmart, Target, order from Levi's online, go on Amazon. White leg boot cut jeans are the exact same thing as what these are going to be. All righty. Well, uh, while I'm getting my bell bottoms, I guess I'm going to be getting my Twizzler straws. Because right now, uh, for people like me who hate paper straws, Reddit just inspired me with this idea. Use candy instead. Uh, someone proposed it. They said that you just bite the ends off of a Twizzler or Red Vine and drink your drink through that instead of a paper straw. Now, Andrew, do you have this problem with paper straws? When you drink through them, you end up like, you know, uh, chewing a bit off the paper straw and you like accidentally swallow it. No, no, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> Is it just me? Oh, my God. I feel like a weirdo. I've never had that issue, but I don't like paper straws at all. I only use plastic straws. Yeah, yeah. Well, isn't is plastic straws the one that's bad for the environment or paper straws? I don't know. I, I have no idea well, what the environment's all about. Plastic could be, but there's bigger contributors to plastic than straws in the ocean. So yeah. it's like give or take which one you're going to go with. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, either way, I'm not going to do this Twizzler straw idea because I don't want my ginger ale tasting like a Twizzler. That was loud. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. And, and did you like that southern twang that I added to it? My ginger ale, it's not going to taste like a Twizzler, y'all. I love it. Yeah, yeah. It makes me want to, um, I don't know. 
do a, a line dance and have sex with my cousins. That, that's that's what they do in the that's that's what they do in the South still, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a regular Sunday service at church. <laughs> oh my God! All right, if you have a headline, a cousin sex story, uh, a piece of celebrity gossip, I don't know, who knows? Send it over Facebook.com slash the Anything Show or Instagram and TikTok at Anything Show Francois. John and Andrew here. Got a great show coming up. Like I said, uh, coming up later on, Derazzled Podcast hosts John, no, Jack and Joe, the number one TV and film podcast on Good Pods. They're going to be joining us in a bit. And uh, oh my God, Monica from Netflix's Cheer. I loved my conversation with her because I actually watched the show. I actually did my research for this, Andrew. So I feel like a good boy. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Mm. And what do good boys get? Good boys get viruses, don't they? I'm trying to figure out. Oh, I was going to go with a spanking, but if we're transferring viruses. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> ooh, yes. Let's let's let, let me transfer that virus particle to your particle, if you know what I mean. Mm. <laughs> oh, it's time for let's get viral, y'all. Oh. Uh, 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 oh, the viral videos of the week right here on the Anything Show. Let's start off with a woman's story about her boyfriend's very weird sleeping habit. Uh, it is going viral on TikTok, as are many millions of other things. Um, let me see if I got the right one here. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So apparently this guy, Andrew, does not believe on sleeping on a bed. He likes to sleep on a nest of clothes. My 24 female boyfriend, 25 male, sleeps in a nest of clothes and towels and refuses to buy a bed. I was amazed to see in his bedroom there is no bed. Instead, there's a huge pile of clothes and towels in the middle of the room. He showed me how he does it, and he kind of curls up into a ball in the middle and piles some of the clothes and towels on top of them. That's how he sleeps. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, what are your thoughts on this? Because I thought, hey, this is a great way to save money, but also not a great way to maintain the sanity of your muscles. I, I, I'm in pain. I'm old. And I feel like that would hurt me to sleep like that. Yeah. But I see the genius in the idea of building a cocoon of cloth around you as you sleep. So why not just go get blankets? I, I guess. I don't know, man. I mean, the, the, uh, beds are expensive, yes, but I don't know if I'd get to a point where I'd be like, hey, dirty laundry, come to Papa. Let me sleep on you. Let me sleep on those, uh, <laughs> on the bell bottom. Yeah, I guess. All righty. We got someone who just turned 110. I don't know if I told you this, Andrew, but my dream in life is to live until the age of 100. However, I don't know if I want to be so old that I forget how old I am, such as this woman who is so old at 110 that she doesn't even know that she's 110. Get older on your birthday? Yes. How old are you? I have no idea. 110. What? 110 years old. 10. 110. I don't believe that. No, you look like you're 21. Why, sure. And just as beautiful as ever. Why, sure. Yes. I love the granddaughter, Andrew, who clearly sounds like the most condescending uh, young person ever. Hey, this is what Jello looks like, Grandma. Oh, you look so great, Grandma. Can you hear me? Can you hear the words that I'm saying? I mean, could, could, could she be more obvious? <laughs> right. I, oh. 
I don't ever want to be that old. I would have been looking at her like, would y'all pull the plug? Do not celebrate another <laughs> birthday today. Yeah, yeah. Just just give up at this point. All righty. Uh, you know, obviously, a lot of people have felt like they wanted to give up during this pandemic, especially moms. Oh, God, I, I can't I, I can't only imagine. Uh, what moms have had to go through these past two years, juggling work and having to, you know, babysit and keep their kids entertained while they're pretty much stuck at home for the whole time, uh, doing remote learning. And I guess in Boston, there's these group of moms that just said to themselves, hey, let's form a nice little group where we just go out into a sports field and just scream our frustrations out. So I give you, Andrew, this brief frustration of moms screaming. Did you did you hear the force in that scream, Andrew? Did you hear did you hear the sound of like fifty six angry moms all at once? That sounded like Jurassic Park dinosaurs. Oh, oh my god! Yeah, uh, is that T Rex? <laughs> nope, it's just a bunch of middle aged estrogen. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. This is going to be you at the door. Go ahead. Go ahead. I can just hear the frustration of them yelling at their kids coming out in those screens. Yeah. (laughs) Timmy, please put your pants on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I feel like that's just like a stock clip that we should use for everything. Uh, so so uh, speaking of uh, moms, uh, I guess this mom uh, f- uh, filmed her daughter saying Pinocchio uh, and the, the daughter's having a hard time saying Pinocchio, Andrew. And I guess the mom was like, you know, trying to like divide the word up into four sections for her daughter. And uh, this is what she came up with. I mean, the daughter unfortunately ended up with a massive failure. P. P. No. No. G. G. O. O. Pinocchio. Yeah, picky, 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 peekaboo. Yeah, I mean that, that's certainly close to Pinocchio, right? Oh, she's officially the cutest baby ever. Mm-hmm. Love it. All right. Uh, wow. This this might as well be like the Mother's Day show because we have another mom-themed video. Our last viral video of the week, right here on the Anything Show. We got a mom who <laughs> got her kid's birthday wrong for two years until her own insurance company had to set her straight. This was another one that went viral on TikTok. I just got off the phone with my pediatrician. She's trying to bill our last visit to our insurance company. Per my words, my son's birthday is the 26th. I'm his mother. I know his birthday. The insurance company says no. His birthday's on the 25th. So she's calling me to, you know, get that squared away. So, you know, I'm about to call on my insurance company to let them have it. And I say, maybe I should scroll back Facebook to look at the birth announcement years ago to make sure. I just got done doing that. And his (laughs) birthday is indeed the 25th. For two years, I've been celebrating his birthday on the 26th. And now I have to call my pediatrician back and say, ha, 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 you know what? I had my kid's birthday wrong. You want to know the worst part? The worst part. It's my middle child. It's my middle child. I have a mommy date with my middle child today. I love my kids, okay? I love my kids. They may not have their birthday celebration on the correct day, but they celebrated the next. Okay, Mary. Christmas is over. Okay. 
are <laughs> so many things about that video. One, I mean, uh, th this this mom uh, might have had a little too much. Uh, she might be uh, a great addition to this course of moms. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and also, I just I, I, that, that's a great insurance company, Andrew. I, I don't know about you, but I would love to have an insurance company that cares and knows about me so much that they would remember my kid's birthday better than I do. That is so awesome. I feel so hilariously sad for the middle child. It had to be the middle child whose birthday you did not know. Yeah. That's the worst part of it. Yeah. And speaking as someone uh, who is uh, the oldest of three children, my uh, you know sister being the middle child, yeah, yeah, she's, she's probably listening to this right now and, and feeling that middle child uh, uh, thing, you know, just, just that sense that you're not appreciated. The oldest, oh, my God, my firstborn, the youngest, oh, my God, you're my youngest, the middle child, uh, just, just get me some cake or something. You know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, we got, we got it right. You're good. Yeah. Yeah, no, nothing you can really say about the middle child. All righty, uh, that is a look at our headlines, y'all, right here on The Anything Show. Uh, Andrew, say something random uh, while I try to find the viral music to close this out. Just say something, like, really sexual. Oh, pickle, pig, feet, dildos. Ooh, pickle. <laughs> okay. Pickles, pig, feet, dildo. Um, Andrew... Can we have that as the name of the episode? Can you write that down? Uh, write, write that down on the document. Do you have access to the document that we're looking at right now for the show? Yeah, I got you. Put that in big letters on the top of the document so I don't forget. Pickles Pig Feet Dildo is probably going to be the name of this week's episode. Andrew always has the brilliant uh, ways to come up with things. Alrighty, if you, you have fun. It just comes out. It really does. Just like a dildo. You know, it, it just comes out. It really does. Alrighty, that's your viral videos of the week right here on The Anything Show. Uh, if you have a viral video, you can send it to us at uh, facebook.com slash the anything show, Instagram and TikTok at anything show. Francois, John here with Andrew. Uh, coming up, we have our celebrity gossip. But before we do, oh, let's acknowledge uh, more sponsors that make the anything show possible, such as Disctopia. You know, I mean, if you want uh, to be a podcaster and you want your fang uploaded on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, blah, 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 all at once. Disctopia, D-I-S-C-T-O-P-I-A. It is the podcaster's paradise with more features and flexibility than any other platform. From unlimited storage and uploads to multiple networks, Disctopia has it all. They got private or exclusive episodes that you can upload, which they will pay you for. You can, distrib you can distribute your podcast everywhere via RSS. And, you know, for those in the podcast audio field, you probably know what that means. Uh, you can set up your own podcast profile page. You have the ability to manage multiple episodes, embeddable episode web player, all on, uh, all on a secure site. Andrew, unlimited downloads from your listeners and unique listener reports just so you know every single thing about your listener, such as what hair they wear to what makes their toenails scream. Yeah. <laughs> Screaming toenails. <laughs> Screaming toenails. Write that down. That may be another episode name idea. Uh, web player analytics are all integrated with the best technology analytics. All on top of that, you get 24-7 world-class customer support. Disctopia will give you creative freedom for all your podcasts with integrated merch. Just upload it all in one place, and then you can set your content to be downloadable or even stream only. Disctopia, I tell you. D-I-S-C-T-O-P-I-A. Uh, it's the podcaster's paradise. If you want to be a podcaster like me and Andrew, 
please go to Dystopia and they will get it going for you. Support for the Anything Show also comes from the Why Do We Say That podcast. It is a father and son podcast where they explain the meeting and etimilalalalala. Andrew, can you read that word for me? Because I have no idea what the fuck that word is. The etimilalalala. I'm sorry, I was just typing our screaming toenails at the top of the dock. <laughs> yeah, Andrew's like multitasking. Wait a minute, what do you want me to do? Say etimilalalala or, or talk about screaming toenails? Which one, John? Which one? the etymology yes whatever that means uh, of everyday phrases and why do we say that you know what I loved an episode uh, that I uh, listened to back in October of why do we say that the podcast uh, Andrew where they uh, explain the meaning behind phrases such as flash in the pan and great minds think alike now uh, great minds think alike I mean Andrew you and I I think there are many times where we actually think alike yeah, there are a ton of times when we think like, I bet you you're thinking about the bee's knees right now. Yes, yes. I'm going to say that just for the purpose of making this podcast look good. Yes, I was talking about bees stinging my knees. So there, there you go. All right, uh, season one of Why Do We Say That, the podcast, uh, available now. Season two is going to be available soon. And, uh, man, if you have not checked out their world-famous game show, Word or Not a Word, honestly, uh, a bee should sting your knee. Am I right, Andrew? Yes, that bee is going to get all up in that tendon of the knee. That sounded really weird. <laughs> I mean, it's really not the weirdest thing that you said on the podcast. So I, I think it, it, you're fine. I think it belongs in the wonderful collection of Andrewisms. <laughs> well, I like that Andrewism. Yeah, uh, maybe that'll be another name for the podcast episode. Write that down. I'm just, I'm, I'm just giving you like endless uh, podcast name episode ideas. <laughs> this is like this is titillating goodness. Yep. Alrighty, thank you so much for our partners uh, for sponsoring the Anything Show as they would. And right now, let's do some celebrity gossip, shall we? Yeah. Ah, yes. Talking about celebrities. Yeah, I'm really, um, I'm really, I'm really uh, acing it on the uh, very upbeat, rhythmic gay bar kind of music, Andrew. Don't you think? Yes, this is like the pre-gay bar at the like uh, Broadway show where everybody's fancy before they get drunk. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I love it. Uh, all right, let's start off with uh, Betty White. I, I know she died on New Year's Eve. It seems like a million years ago now, but you know what? Recently, this video came up. Betty White recording her, uh, I think pretty much her last video message uh, before she died on New Year's Eve. And, um, you know, I mean, you, you hear the the sort of uh, weakness in her voice that suggests that she's been living a while. So uh, pardon that. And just take in the sweetness that is Betty White. I just want to thank you all for your love and support over the years. Thank you so much. And stick around. Yeah, so she recorded that shortly before uh, she died, and it was pretty much to uh, commemorate her 100th birthday and to thank people uh, for uh, commemorating or and, and recognizing the fact that she would have lived a century. So uh, what do you think about that, Andrew? Oh, it's beautiful. It's Betty White. It really touches and pulls at my heartstring. Yeah. You know what also touches and pulls at my heartstring? Hugh Jackman, Wolverine himself from the X-Men. Oh, my God. Would I love to claw his... Wolverine pubes, <laughs> whatever that even means. Anyway, uh, Hugh Jackman, a big fan of football, um, and he was really pulling for Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to get it to the next round of the playoffs. Uh, and obviously, you know, we now know that they did not make the playoffs. Uh, this is Hugh Jackman's message that you were hoping would have gotten Tom Brady to another Super Bowl ring this year. Tom, 
we both work in today. I think yours might be a little tougher than mine. Uh, but anyway, I just want you to know I'm a Giants fan, but I'm representing TB12. TB. TB. I love it, brother. Thanks, man. Crush it today. And as we speak, Andrew, on Sunday, January 30th, did you hear that trending story that sources have said that Tom Brady is retiring after 22 seasons? But then now it turned into uh, Tom Brady and his camp have not really confirmed. So we really don't even know. I mean, he's arguably the greatest player in football, and we we may or may not know that he's retiring at the moment. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of Tom Brady, but he's, like, at every Super Bowl. Like, every month he's at one of them. So it's been enough. He can (laughs) stay home. Yeah, he's like in his mid-40s at this point. He has seven rings. Like, what more can you want? Uh, just just stay home with your family. Leave us alone, Tom Brady. And this is coming from a guy who is in New England. Yes, as a New Englander uh, who had him for the Patriots for God knows how many years, like 20 seasons, just go home, Tom Brady. Go, go away. Yeah, just go enjoy your life. You'll be fine. Yeah. Martha Stewart. I love how Martha Stewart is telling us how we should and should not drink wine. Martha Stewart, Andrew, gave us the okay to put ice in our wine She says, quote, nobody minds it anymore, even fine winemakers, end quote. Um, I think I can make my own wine decisions without your approval, Martha. Have you been putting ice in your wine, Andrew? I have been putting ice in my wine since I got that communion. So, Martha, you're late. (laughs) Wait, since you got that communion? Is that what you said? Since the first time I had communion, there was ice in my wine. Wow. So, she's late. And for those not in the church community, communion is basically uh, when you are uh, in church. And I think this maybe only applies to Christian church services. I could be wrong. But, uh, you know, you have a little bit of wine. You have a little bit of dry cardboard that's supposed to act as bread. The bread is supposed to symbolize Jesus's body who's died on the cross from us, who died on the cross for us. And the wine is supposed to represent his blood. Um, And I don't know. Did you ever have a great uh, tasting uh, bread for the communion or did you have it rough like I did? Oh, uh, we so one place I went, you got this little like vacuum sealed cup with this dry cardboard and the wine in it. Yeah. And then the other one, they were serving Moscato. Oh. And it was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just wanted to save all that wine. You didn't even want to drink it during communion. You just want to be like, you know what, girl, I'm gonna put it in my pocket and save it for New Year's Eve. Look, all I knew is I was twelve years old and I was drinking wine with my pinky up for Jesus and I was happy. There you go, bougie for Jesus. Come on now. <laughs> I love it. All right, Peter Dinklage. I think you said you're, you, you've been watching Game of Thrones, right? I love Game of Thrones. Yeah. So uh, Peter Dinklage, the, uh, the, 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 the dwarf actor from uh, Game of Thrones, uh, he says it's hypocritical that Disney is remaking Snow White with a Latina lead while still making what he calls, quote, that effing backwards story about seven dwarves living in a cave together, end quote. Now, what do you think about this story, Andrew? Disney is just terrible. They own the world, and I don't like them. But I agree 100% with Peter Dinklage. Um, Why are we not casting this movie the right way and breaking the stereotype? Yeah, you know, it's for me, I'm actually kind of torn about this because on the one hand, I feel like it's such a story that is so outlandish, so out there, so far removed from reality that for me, it's always been accepted as fiction. Uh, But at the same time, you know, speaking as somebody who 
hasn't been exposed much to the dwarfism community, like I, I, I wouldn't know from their perspective, like what, what it's like to be seen as like, oh, you know, you're one of seven that live together. All dwarves live together in one house. They're not their own separate person. That's what they are in real life. So, you know, I, I think Peter Dinklage may be hitting on an interesting point here. Yes, I agree. Janet Jackson uh, says Michael used to tease her about her weight, calling her names like pig, horse, slaughter hog and cow. Uh, she says they would laugh about it. But then there was like somewhere deep inside Janet where she was just like, oh, damn, that hurt. Um, and, you know, what? this is actually surprising to me, Andrew, that this was com- that this would come from Michael, because to me, Michael, while Michael did have like sort of a playfulness to him. Uh, based on uh, the sort of fragility about him and, and the fact that he, he seemed like a very kind, soft-hearted person, I, I just never would take him as somebody who would, would hurl fat jokes. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> I 100% agree. Like, I would never imagine him being that way. But then I listened to an interview about when they made Scream together and how Michael kind of antagonized Janet about her horse until... She finally recorded it, and it sounds like they would kind of antagonize each other in a friendly way, like brothers and sisters do, but it does suck that it really hit a nerve for her that stuck. Yeah, and and you know what? Maybe this will be touched in the Janet Jackson documentary that I believe, like as we record this on Sunday, January 30th, it's been playing this weekend on Lifetime and A&E, and this is the moment where it sucks to not have cable, because I really, really, really want to see that documentary, and I think you said so, Andrew, too, because uh, you're also a Janet fan. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can find it to watch tonight. I'm hoping it's really good, because I'm a Janet fan, but then I'm scared because it's a Lifetime movie, and they have not done too good with, like, the documentary biopic. Yeah, yeah, I heard I heard mixed reviews about that Wendy Williams documentary that they did on Lifetime not too long ago. So, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see when the reviews come out. All righty, well, we have the HBO series Euphoria, which is uh, getting some criticism from Dare D A R E, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is an organization that uh, tries to bring awareness to, um, like, you know, uh, remind me what, what what it brings awareness to, Andrew. It's Dare is about drug resistance and uh, community safety for children. Gotcha. So uh, Dare is criticizing the HBO series Euphoria because they think that it glamorizes drug use, addiction, anonymous sex, violence, and other destructive behaviors among teens. And they would actually like to meet with HBO to present their concerns directly. Here's my problem. I don't think that it is any uh, TV show's responsibility to... Uh, worry about uh, what they're doing to their teen audience. I know it may sound kind of screwed up to some conservative-minded parents listening, but I've always felt that you know when it comes to your teen's well-being, their safety, uh, that should be left up to the parents and the teachers in in real life. And uh, for a TV show to have to uh, stifle or affect their creativity. Because of like, oh, my God, like, you know, we got to worry about the parents and what they'll think, you know, about their teenagers being exposed. I I don't know. I just I just think it's it should not be the responsibility of these producers and directors and writers. You know, I agree. It definitely should not be a TV shows and actors or a TV network's responsibility to teach and guide children. My issue with D.A.R.E. is their campaign itself was essentially the Just Say No campaign revamped for 90s kids. And being a part of that and what they would promote as non-glamorization of drugs is not a realistic view of what drug use, drug resistance, or peer pressure really is. 
And if anything, Euphoria, which I've watched the show, and as somebody who has done a lot of drugs in their life, it actually gives a very accurate representation of what can happen if you do drugs, which I feel is far more healthier to people to learn that this can be a thing and how to address it as opposed to just cutting it out and saying no. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> time will tell. Time will tell. I mean, I, I've been aware about D.A.R.E. ever since middle school. So and, and of course, you have those like uh, PSAs and commercials from D.A.R.E., which makes you know, which paints like a dark view, like, oh, this is what your child is like on 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 crack or on pot. And it it, it shows a picture of like, I don't know, like some some uh, some clapping symbol monkey to represent that your child is going to become a clapping symbol monkey if they're on crack. I, they, they make it so over the top that you're just like, whoa, okay, all right. I guess I should not have joy at all in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. The one, though, with the girl melted into the couch because she smoked pot, I just want whatever she smoked. Whatever she smoked must be very good. So, I mean, they're basically like the PETA for like teen uh, drug and sexual awareness, aren't they? They just they just really like make it over the top. They really do. And unfortunately, one of their campaigns is so problematic now watching it back for anti-smoking where they associated smoking with being gay and in the closet. Oh, Jesus. And they have some very backward views in the D.A.R.E. program. Oh, my Lord. Well, there you go. What a morbid ending to our celebrity gossip. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Ain't that a transition? We go from smoking causes homosexuality to, oh, let's dance. Let's dance. Gay bar. Let's dance. <laughs> We're smoking. <laughs> but, you, but you know what? But you know what? What a what a what a what better middle finger to the dare program and those backward views than to have gay bar music. You know what I'm talking about? Perfect. Yep. Celebrity gossip. If you have a gossip piece that you want to send me and Andrew, Facebook.com slash anything show, Instagram and TikTok at anything show Francois. John Francois with Andrew Vanderton. Coming up later on, we got a great conversation with our friends Jack and Joe from the D Razzled podcast. They review, uh, I think, mostly terrible TV shows and movies. They were voted number one in TV and film on the Good Pods podcasting app. So that is well deserved. We're going to talk to them. And uh, coming up uh, right before that, I'm going to have a conversation with Monica from. From the Netflix docuseries Cheer, which is getting all the buzz. Andrew, before we uh, go to the Monica conversation, Lifestyle of a Gay Black Boy podcast, your podcast, what is the latest? Yes. So the latest is I just got to have my conversation with Edgar Gaines, former porn star and now turned pastor. And that's going to be going up shortly. And then also another conversation with my friend Danny. We're talking about healthy kink choices and safety in the BDSM world. What? So a very uh, naughty, sexy, interesting, thought-provoking episode of Lifestyle of a Gay Black Boy podcast we have to look forward to. Yes, with a sprinkle of Jesus. (laughs) Okay, just a little sprinkle of Jesus. All right, write that down. That may be another episode name (laughs) idea. A sprinkle of Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, I don't know, we just have so many ideas. I don't know. I mean, I feel like because it's all referenced in this episode, maybe we should make this like the longest episode title ever. You know? You really could. You really, really could. Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Seriously, write that down in the document so I don't forget because I I think that might be a good uh, episode name idea for the future. All righty. 
yeah, yeah. So I'll see you uh, in uh, like about 10 minutes or so for our conversation with Jack and Joe from the Derazzled podcast. But first, Monica from Netflix's Cheer. So uh, I got to tell you, I, I just uh, started watching Cheer on Netflix and um, it, it's it's fabulous. I mean, I, I, I love you and I love the entire um, concept behind the series. And um, I, I like how it, you know, makes it clear that there is a a serious competitive like elite side to cheerleading that we often don't see. I mean, obviously, when we think of cheerleading, we we think of like, you know, uh, Dallas Cowboys or, or you know. <laughs> The, the, the you know the, the the good looking high schoolers or whatever but um your your show uh, makes it clear that like cheerleading can be taken as seriously as you know say you know running track or running the boston marathon or something like that and uh, what, what what i also like uh, about the show is is that it, it lets you know that like if you want to be like at the best level of cheerleading in terms of the competitive side it's at like the collegiate level and I guess I just wanted to know from your perspective, like, how does it feel like getting these these aspiring cheerleaders knowing that um, you have them like at the at the peak, at the peak of their passion? Because I believe like we in this series, we get this perception that, you know, the professional side of it is is more like just dancing in comparison to the collegiate cheerleading. So how, how does it feel to to know that, like, you know, you're, you're really like getting these students at their peak? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's um, a great feeling to know that that I that I have them at their top level. Um, yeah. Of course, it is you know disappointing that there are not other opportunities at the moment. Um, although we're working on that, trying to hopefully make some opportunities. But um, yeah, I mean, it is definitely was highlighted the fact that. Uh, you know, when you go into the NFL, that is really dance. It's not, I know they're like, you have the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders that's called cheerleaders, but they're really dancers. And those are way different. The the two cheerleading and dance are two completely different things. Uh, So, and I think, you know, like you said, a lot of people don't know um, a lot about cheerleading. There's a stereotype based on all the movies that come out, the mean girls, the bring it on, all of that. Um, there is a stereotype with cheerleading and, uh, you know, I think that dates back to really the history of cheerleading because back many, many, many years ago, um, the only cheerleading that was out there was school-based cheerleading. And a lot of times that was, uh, you were chosen through some popular vote, you know, in school or something like that. But, uh, you know, cheerleading has evolved a lot. Um, all-star cheerleading was created, which is like club cheerleading many years ago and it's created some of the most talented athletes you know in the country Mm, absolutely um and while you know obviously there's there's this you know big you know respect and talent that goes behind uh, competitive cheerleading we we also know in the series that you know cheerleading can lead to you know some very bad injuries uh so i i just wonder like do you go into every practice and certainly like going into the national competitions do you know do you go in like with some amount of nerves thinking like oh my god like anything could happen to my students it could affect their physical well-being like what's your mindset during that process well you know actually we are very safe i know that in season one you you saw probably every fall that we had um i'm sure makes great tv you know but (laughs) Um, 
really, we actually follow a lot of progressions when we're learning things that you really didn't see in the show. So um, we always have safety in our mindset because we are doing, you know, we are throwing people through the air, but uh, we don't do the harder stuff until we make sure we've progressed up to that. So if we're learning something new, whether it's a basket toss or a pyramid, you know, we do progressions where we do uh, something easier and then we we add to it once we know that we safely can do that so yeah. um you know we have training uh in safety um the kids are very experienced so um although it didn't really show that side in the show we yeah. do um do everything based around that and so when we're you know i it's once we've learned something it's not that's normally not what's at the you know hitting it yes but normally we also practice it it's very strange but we also practice how to fall safely i know that yeah. sounds funny but when we're learning pyramids especially there's a lot of people involved so we we talk about how we're going to fall if if something doesn't hit the proper way for it to come down safely to you know not injure anyone and stuff like that so that's a you know big focus that we that we have in practice yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and even though, again, I mean, you know, you, when it comes to the cheerleading, I mean, you, you, you want to have a great stunter, you want to have a great tumbler and, and so on and so forth. Um, but also I, I, I was watching one of the episodes and I think you had mentioned that just as important is like the personality and, and the appearance of the person. Am I correct on that? Cause I think you had mentioned that in, in the, well, one of the first couple episodes with, uh, with, with oh. Morgan. Leaders. You know, it's, um, it's, um, at the end of the day, it's a performance, you know, yes. but, but within that performance is, a, it's built around athleticism. So there's yeah. a lot of components to it. So it requires a lot of practice, a lot of preparation. Um, obviously, yes, we like to, at the, at, once we put in hours and hours and hours of work to perfect the athletic part of this routine, uh, then we can start working on the performance value. So uh, once they've built that muscle memory, um, then they can start working on where they want to perform. Are we going to add a little bit more choreo here? Or are we going to add a little bit more choreo there? But it's kind of like a it's stages. You have to get the, the athletic parts, the most important, and it's the hardest part to achieve. And then we can add the performance aspect and really work on that. And then, of course, obviously, we want to look good. We want to have our uniforms nice the way we want them and, um, you know, make sure we look clean out there as a, as a team. But that's all kind of at the very, very end. You know, it's, it's the athletic part that takes so much work because it's very difficult to to do that. And we hopefully we make it look very easy at the end of the day. But. <laughs> It only looks that way because we've put the hours in, you know, to hopefully make it look easy, but it's very hard. Yeah, I bet. And of course, the big moment is uh, the, the the national championship stage. And um, and I think you've won like, what, 14 championships since 2000. Do I have that correct? Yeah. Yes, that is correct. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, and what I find like breathtaking about that moment is, I mean, like once your students actually like compete on their time like it, i think it only takes like two minutes to, to two, like two minutes and 15 seconds that's right so what goes through your head i mean if i was in your position i'd be a nervous wreck like oh my god like we're putting all this practice time all, all these uh you know athletic efforts and it's only for like that two minutes and that two minutes could make or break everything i mean what is going through your mind at that moment you know, I, it's it's a very stressful situation, but I have to just let it go because at that point I have no control. You know, we I've done my job 
we've, we've prepared, we've done everything that we needed to do back, you know, at our home gym and now it's up to them. So I just have to trust in them and let it go. And, and just, you know, um, unfortunately I don't really watch for, uh, enjoyment. I'm watching for perfection. (laughs) And so, you know, it's like, it just goes by this fast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, going, going back to uh, the, you know, what you're, what you're mentioning about, you know, looking for perfection, I think it's like, you know, that demand for, for, for perfection, at least to me, uh, stands in contrast with, uh, with how I view your personality going into the show, because like, as I'm watching the show, I'm thinking like, wow, for somebody who like demands nothing but the best for her students, like she, there's, there's like a calm observationlessness about her. Does that make sense? And I think it, it, is, is that kind of part of why you're called like the Bill Belichick of cheerleading? Cause I think Bill Belichick for the Patriots has that same quality where it's like, wow, like this guy has won a lot of championships, but when you see him in the media, like he just has this very calm, uh, confident observational way about himself? Well, you know, I, I'm a, I, I think a lot and I, and I tell my, my students that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking a lot. So it doesn't mean I'm angry. It doesn't mean I'm upset. It doesn't mean I'm emotionless. I'm just focused. I'm focused on what needs to be done next. Um, and yeah, I, I try to remain calm because, you know, I, they're looking to me for direction, number one. And if I panic, you know, that's going to filter out to them. So I definitely, um, you know, my mind just goes from if there's, if something happens, I immediately go to plan B. What are we going to do? I don't, I try to stay out of the panic mode and you, you know, if you've watched the entire season of cheer of uh, season one of cheer, uh, you know, we have an injury, which has never happened before ever in my career at finals. And I, I will tell you, I was very much panicking inside, but I was not about to show that at all because yeah. I could see the the face, the, you know, the, the athletes faces and I could see their panic and yeah. they were looking to me to be that calm within the storm. So I was, uh, I, you know, I, I try to make sure that I'm, I'm there to, to be the calm no matter what's going on. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, so Navarro College in, in Corsanica, Texas, uh, it it pretty much has the reputation of like being, you know, the, the destination for the top cheerleading uh, program. And, and I, I think I know this story, but let's, you know, kind of explain it for our listeners. Like why, why, why Novaro college? Why not uh, take your skill, what you've attained as a coach? Like why not take that to like a big city university instead of like a small community college in, in Texas? Well, you know, I um, definitely, when I was, um, growing up. And when I went to college myself, I I never thought that I would be coaching. That was not the plan. I I went to business school, have a finance degree from the University of Texas at Austin. And so, um, you know, I was planning on, you know, uh, working in the business world. And ideally, my dream was to move to New York City and and work on Wall Street. But um, it just so happened that I ended up at Navarro because a friend of mine reached out to me. Uh, that was coaching baseball and, and said, you, you know, that I should apply for this job. And 
I was, you know, pretty fresh out of college and I was working in Dallas and I wasn't really happy at that job. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to move back home. I'm from Corsicana. I grew up there. My family was there. So I thought, you know, just until I figure out, you know, what I want to do with my business degree, I'll just, I'll just do this temporarily. But what happened was I got there and, you know, I had goals. Like I wanted to make this team the best that it could be. I I wasn't going to just come in and, you know, waste a little bit of my time there. I wanted to make it the best. And, um, it, it, it's like my child. It's like a program that I created. Um, so I'm very much emotionally invested into this program and, uh, you know, I built it, so I don't want to leave it. I, uh, I understand a lot of people have asked me like, well, don't you want to go to something bigger and better? And I'm like, you know, no, it's, 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 this is what I created. You know, I don't really feel the need to go and, and take over someone else's program or, or anything like that. I, I, uh, I have put all of my blood, sweat and tears and time yep. into this program to make it what it is. And, and, you know, it's my family. It's there, there, all of the people that have gone through this program, they're like my second family. So, uh, you know, it's where my heart is. We, we don't do, we don't coach for the money. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for the talent, for, for the work ethic. And I think, and actually, I think it's even more admirable that you've attained this national reputation um, out of a small, you know, community, because obviously there's this negative stigma that like, Oh, if you come from like a, a community college or a small town community that, you know, all you're doing is just, you know, kind of biding your time until you make it to the big city. And I like how there are those stories where it's like, no, even in those small communities, you can still make a big difference where the world is is looking at you. So that's awesome. You know, I, I love uh, not only are you uh, in the in the Netflix docuseries Cheer, uh, Monica, but also you have a book out called Full Out. And what I love about the the book is that you talk about the power of positive self-talk and this $5 planner that can change your life that that caught my attention. Can can you talk more about that? Yeah. Well, first of all, the power of positive self-talk. I mean, that's so important, especially right now, but I think everybody's gone through a really tough time the past couple of years through this crazy pandemic that we're in. And, um, you know, I, your mental health is so important to your quality of life. And, um, a lot of times if you let that outside negative get into your head and, 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 you know, right now we have so much negative on social media and the internet. And if you allow that to fill your mind, then that's where your, your headspace is going to be in this very negative space. And, um, I, I don't like that. I, w- I want to feel positive. I want to feel good. Um, and I want to enjoy, you know, the life that I have here. And so it, to me, it's very important to keep your mental health in a positive place. And um, so not just from the negative that's already out there, but when you're going through a really tough time, uh, whether it's, you know, in a relationship or a struggle, you maybe you lost your job or, or whatever it is, you know, personally that you're going through, um, you know, you have to sometimes be your own cheerleader and Matt talk yourself. And I've done that quite a bit the past couple of years because I've really had, you know, probably two of the hardest years of my coaching career. And especially, you know, after the show came out, uh, when, when you're successful, people like to tear you down. And so uh, you just have to remind yourself who you are and, and, and be your biggest cheerleader, you know, keep your mental health good and positive. It was such a great time talking to you. I was looking at the show and I'm like, oh my God, I get to talk to this person. This is great. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. 
we were just talking about Zelda right before we hopped on. Get Zelda. out. Yeah, Zelda, yeah, I've been playing through the Switch port of uh, of Skyward Sword uh, recently, so we were just chatting about that a little bit. How do you feel about it? Uh, you know, I I heard a lot of it caught a lot of flack uh, when it was first when it was first released. I remember thinking like, okay, maybe I'm not missing anything with this one, and I'm playing it, and like, yeah, there's some annoying stuff in there. Like, there's some mechanics I'm not a big fan of, but overall, it's been fun. I've been enjoying it. See, I'm a fan. Game, I was not a fan of the dynamic of having to raise the sword to do a specific attack, but everything else about it, I love. There is some really cool stuff in there. Yeah, like the motion control stuff definitely gets too gimmicky and really annoying sometimes, and like my wrist starts to kill me after a bit. But uh, but yeah, so much of that game is a lot of fun. Awesome. I love it. So, so I, we're, I, we're all I, safe I, to be nerds here, is what I'm gathering, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I was going to ask, like, because I've heard so many things about Legends of Zelda. And I mean, here we have, you know, two guys that know a lot about it. So 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 the hype is really worth it is is what I'm hearing. I'd say it's worth checking out. Yeah, the uh, the I think the way that they they shifted things over. So it works with the switch control scheme. Um, Some like some of it works, some of it doesn't. But overall, like the story, the visuals, the the rest of the gameplay worth checking out. Okay. Okay. So I know uh, you guys, Jack and Joe from the Durazzle podcast, you guys uh, are primarily a TV and film podcast. I mean, do, do you occasionally get into video games like that too? We haven't. But... We haven't, but uh, so we do our main episodes, but we also do like side, like we recast the Mar- the Mario movie. Right. Yeah, we, yeah, one we'll, episode. we'll take little side quest episodes to do like stuff that's outside of our normal purview. So like recasting the Mario movie was one. I think we, we might do another one on the actual Mario Brothers movie because that keeps oh, coming yeah. up in conversations with us. And it's like, we, like we, we got to dig into that. Um, it, it didn't win a Razzie, but it's just such a staple of like being a 90 kid, 90s kid. <laughs> uh, that I would love to see, like, oh, how do we fix this movie that we kind of love, but it, it, we know it's bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, if I, so if I remember correctly, and I, and you know, as someone who grew up like most '90s kids playing the Mario video games, yeah. uh, I think I vaguely watched that Mario movie you're talking about. I think it came out in like what 1993. It was a live action Something movie. Something like that. Yeah. And and yep. I and I saw a little bit of it on like Disney Channel or whatever TV channel was <laughs> yeah. running. Um, I mean, Andrew. I know. I know, Andrew. You are you 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 love the the Super Mario as well. I mean, do you have a connection with that movie and and also with oh. the video game? It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I have watched it no less than seventy five times because I love it so much. Because Hell yeah, oh yeah, that is the movie that where I fell in love with John Leguizamo. Yes, uh, he's so good. I mean, he's bad. He's not a good Luigi, but I love him. <laughs> Yeah, and John Leguizamo, I think, didn't he play that uh, weird-looking character in Ice Age? The, the, those movies? Yes. Yeah. 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 What the hell was that called? Uh, yeah, oh, God, I can't remember the character's name. It's been so long since I've seen those. But yeah, that was definitely him. Was it Manny? Yeah. No. Manny. Oh, man. That or, or wait. Pulled that out of my head. Or was he Or was he one of the other ones? I've, I have no idea. He's a fantastic actor, though. I, I'm upset he doesn't get more work. Well, he yeah. was just in so, um, he was just in that new uh, Disney movie, um, oh, really? uh, Encanto. Oh, yeah, he oh, voices yeah. the character Bruno. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I've heard I've heard about Encanto and how uh, much buzz it's getting. It's it's awesome. So um, I know I l- listened to the recent episode of your, of your guys' podcast uh, where you you know had talked about Howard the Duck and yeah. um, brand new. 
I'm wrong on this. So there is an episode where you touch on the, the Super Mario's movie and the fact that it has like this, the 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 Razzies kind of surrounding it. Because I do know that the Razzies is like the Oscars for horrible movies. Yes, basically, yeah. We haven't dealt specifically with the Mario movie yet. Mm-hmm. But we have, so they're, they're making a new Mario movie, right? An animated one. An animated one. I- and they- They've cast those voices, I think, not so great. Uh, some, some of them, I think, are better. Some of the casting, I think, is better than others. But the idea of Chris Pratt as Mario in particular has like, had, like, the entire internet on fire yeah. for a couple of days. So I was like, we got to talk about this. Yeah, I mean, you know, Chris Pratt, I mean, he has – there's a certain goofy charm about him that I've seen on Parks and Recreation and Guardians yeah. of the Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, do you guys disagree with him playing Mario? Do you think it's an odd thing? I think he has a charm and a, a humor about him, right? Like I like Parks and Rec. Uh, he was he was great in Guardians of the Galaxy, but his persona doesn't match with my idea of Mario, like the Mario I grew up with. Um, he's a little too goofy. So there, yeah. there's a couple there's a couple of reasons why I don't like the casting, and it's it's partially because I don't think he himself fits the role. Um, but then again, I guess we have to see, uh, kind of wait and see what exactly they're doing with these characters for this take. Uh, but the other thing is like, you know, there's this, this whole conversation going on in, uh, uh, regarding the casting of big name actors in voice roles when they don't mm-hmm. really have a whole lot of voice acting experience. And in the case of Mario, like you have an iconic voice there that's, he's been cast for tw- over 20 years yeah. now. You have Char- uh, Charles Martinet has voiced him since Mario 64 and wow. has just been... Uh, it just knocked it out of the park. Absolutely, absolutely. Andrew, are you familiar with uh, Chris Pratt and this animated Mario movie that's coming out? No, I just found out about the animated Mario movie, like, now, because I didn't realize... Oh, no. (laughs) Other than actually listening to you guys' podcast, I was literally listening while I was working. Uh I was like, okay, you guys got me thinking. And Chris Pratt, to me, I feel like he could be in the movie, but... Mm -hmm. Sorry, the animation, but let's add him in as like a hammer bro or yeah, that I like. Yeah, that rules. I absolutely love that idea. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So you know, let's 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 kind of backtrack. I mean, you guys are a. I mean, it seems like you're a very popular TV and film podcast. I did notice that uh, on the uh, Good Pods uh, podcasting app, you guys were like ranked number one on on, on TV and film in, in terms of that podcast category. For a so couple of weeks there. Yeah. Yeah. We were uh, blown away. <laughs> like It's been like, we've only been doing this. Like, we've only had the show like live for a, oh, not even five months yeah. now. And like we just hit 2000 plays this afternoon. We were at number one on that chart on good pods for like a, almost a solid two weeks. Like it was, it, like it blows our minds. <laughs> like it, it awesome. good pods is such a great community. Uh, I'm glad that we found it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's astounding. Like the way like different indie podcasters get to like interact with each other or interact with their audiences on that platform. And uh, to like kind of see like the, uh, individual reviews on each episode and like the, like all that love coming in, like all the communication coming in. It's like, it's amazing feedback. It's amazing to help, like uh, an amazing way to help you like direct your content. And uh, this really gives you a great sense of like what people are thinking and what people are enjoying. So it's been, yeah, that's been a lot of fun. Well, so what, what, explain the the seed of this podcast. What made you guys first think, okay, you know, we're passionate about TV and film. Let's turn this into a podcast. Sure. So, uh, I, I have a theater degree, right? So I go to a lot of like stage shows. Um, yep, same here. Nice. Uh, and I, I would like 
you know, we were required to see everyone's show and not all shows are created equal. So I'm watching a show. I'm like, how would like, there's good parts. There's bad parts. Like what do they need to do to make this better? Sometimes it's not even like the performers at the, the direction. It's the script itself needs work. Um, like I'm, I'm just, I'm forced to sit in the audience for an hour or two hours and I'm trying to entertain myself in that time. Uh, same thing was with movies. Like when my, my friends would have me go and see these movies. I know they're going to be bad in theaters. Uh, like, how would we fix this? Uh, and then we, we had tried a previous podcast, a couple of previous podcasts. Yeah. We, we, um, we used to be roommates. And during that time we had come up with, we had come up with an idea to kind of start seeding an idea for a podcast where we tried to uh, take a, like a film series or a film, like a, like a film franchise that uh, had, either not had a new entry in its franchise in like over 20 years or that has just had like a run of just garbage entries yeah, like hellraiser like, for example it's like hasn't been good since like hellraiser 2 like how do we revive the hellraiser franchise with hellraiser <laughs> 14 yeah so we started playing around with that we were having a lot of fun but uh we were extremely limited in our equipment at the time and we were recording on a chromebook and so yeah. like I don't know if you've ever tried to use audacity on a Chromebook, but it's oh. <laughs> don't it, it, it would crash constantly. We lost so much material, like so frequently that we just kind of gave up. So we, we kind of simplified that idea down to derazzled and we, we both have writing backgrounds. So we know what works, what doesn't work. Um, and we're like, what, what movies need the most help? Cause you could take like a popular movie that comes out this summer like the, well, the Razzies recognize the very worst films. Yeah. So let's, but, let's really challenge yourselves here. Yeah. They've kind of done that work for us for the past almost or over 40 years now. Yeah. So they, uh, so we've got a lot of material to work with. Uh, and it just seemed like a really fun way to jump in and, you know, get back to the, you know, to this, this project that we had kind of left dormant for a while and, you know, just have fun together as friends and collaborators. It's like, we've, you know, like you said, we both have writing backgrounds. We also uh, have a lot, we've also done a lot of film work together mm -hmm. uh, as Jack is a writer and director and I act as his producer uh, on set and we've done music videos and commercials and uh, short films mm -hmm. and a feature. Uh, that's currently in post-production. So we bring a lot of that expertise and that background knowledge to this. So, you know, so it, uh, we have a little bit of an inside view of how, like how the sausage is made, yeah. so to speak. Uh, not nearly on the scale that like Hollywood does, but it's fun to kind of think about like, what would be the, what are the possibilities that could have been done here? How would we have approached this? Like, it's one thing to say, this movie's bad. There's a lot of people that can do that. It's another thing to say like, okay, well, if it were in my hands, how would I fix it? Yeah. Now, uh, productions that you you guys yourself have worked on, you mentioned, mm -hmm. you know, having a behind the scenes experience, you know, writing and being on set and stuff like that. I mean, would you guys review that on your own podcast or would you think that's like a conflict of interest and would you prefer to like, you know, review yeah, things that, yeah, go ahead. We actually were planning on doing that if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Like that, is, that was something we had in the schedule. Is it still there? Uh, it got bumped just because we had so many guest spots. Yeah, it might be. I think it might be something that we're going to do between seasons, uh, just as like some additional content to kind of keep things moving uh, while we prep for our full, or, like our actual season like, two. We want to be fair. If we're going to take a bite at somebody else's film, we want to put our own stuff through yeah. the ringer, and we we know we could do better. Yeah, <laughs> now we're, we're older. <laughs> so the so the title of the podcast I imagine derazzled I mean that's coming from the the concept of the Razzies mm -hmm. so are 
So are, are you guys purely there to say like, oh my God, let's talk about how awful these TV shows and movies are? Or, or is it a balance of like, all right, we're going to talk about some awful things and we're going to talk about some great things that we admire? Definitely a balance. Uh, we, oh. we, try to, we try really hard to find uh, what works about the the ver- the different movies that we uh, that we talk about because there usually is something to praise in the like, in amongst like the various failings or mistakes that are made uh, or whatever other like offset issues are plaguing a uh, a production. There's usually something in there. Like I think one of my favorite things that we discovered was uh, when we did Battlefield Earth for our second episode, which was entirely biting off too much, uh, <laughs> biting off more than we could chew on that second episode on, yeah. uh the, our favorite thing was that forrest whitaker absolutely kills it he's so good he's, he's so good bad movie. he did not need to go that hard but that man crushed it like yeah he's so good in it he, like everything else around him is garbage in that movie but he's just great like you have hundreds of people working on these films someone has to be doing something right right i love and it Andrew- forrest whitaker <laughs> I 100% agree. I the movie was terrible. I oh, yeah. loved Battlefield Earth so much, and I was like, I can't do this. But I wanted to ask you guys: Is there like a specific genre of movie that sticks out to each of you that you like to look at more and see what you can improve on more and change? Hmm. Uh, I think for me, I naturally, regardless of whether the movie's good or not, I prefer to lean towards horror and uh, sci-fi. Um, and that feels like the Razzies t- tend to lean that way as well. We don't get too many straight dramas. I mean, there are, there are definitely some in there. There's some we, in there. We've, we haven't gone we've touched on a couple peripherally. Like we, like, in our nothing but trouble episode, we went on a bit of a side like sidetrack about um, Bonfire of the Vanities because those two productions are like intimately intertwined with each other for like whatever reason. Um, I can't wait to do Mommy Dearest. Oh, I'm like, so I'm excited, excited to do, to do Mommy, Mommy Dearest. Dearest. <laughs> Mommy Dearest is gonna be wild. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what's, Mommy, what's, uh, what's Mommy Dearest gonna be about? Uh, Mommy Dearest is a movie from the I want to say early '80s. Early '80s, yeah. Um, it's known for being very campy. Uh, I'm not super familiar with the plot of that one. I think, no, like, I, I think, like the 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 like the the quick version of it is is just like a a uh, like off a rocker, like wildly abusive mother is yes. is like the focus of the film. I thought like the one the one thing I, I have still have not seen the entire movie myself, but the one thing that sticks out in my mind just because of like pop culture consciousness is just her shouting, no wire hangers. <laughs> you know, I always wonder I, I always wonder about uh campy movies because and, and and I'll use the the nineteen sixties Batman TV series as an sure. example. Excellent because like I feel like you can either look at it as like, oh my God, that's so awful. And they don't even know it's awful. It's so over the top. <laughs> yeah. But also look at it as, well, no, that's that's intentional. They're, they're, they yep. want it to be outlandish and over the top. So um, I guess with the uh, campy movies like Mommy Dearest, like <laughs> do you approach it from, oh, like they're not aware that this is campy or do you approach it from, oh, I think they're aware that this is campy. Uh, I think we both have a very strong appreciation for camp because we're yeah. both really big John Waters fans. Uh, yeah. So, so I think like we we both appreciate camp when it's done well. Uh, so I think our approach would be how do we how do we help that camp land the yeah. way that it needs to. So right now we're working on Spice World, which yeah, it it's campy to a degree, but it could be it could be campier. <laughs> 
Oh, Andrew, you held your hand to your heart. Do you, uh, are you familiar with Spice World? So, Spice World, guys, if you don't know, I am gay and I'm real gay. And Spice <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's a fantastic movie to me. Also, Mommy Dearest and John, if you want to huh? see perform every scene of Mommy Dearest, come up here to New York. <laughs> in the gay community because it's so good and so campy but spice world give it to me on a platter i would eat it all day see i have some nostalgia for it myself um because my my stepsisters and my sister would watch it all the time when we were growing up and i would sit and watch it with them because i would always i would also make them watch all the nonsense i wanted to watch so it was like okay yeah i'll sit here and watch it so like i had parts of it Parts of it had stuck in my memory like really well, and then other parts had not. Like there was so much of that movie that I forgot. Specifically, like that the guy that played Riff Raff in Rocky oh, yeah. Horror is like the 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 paparazzi <laughs> photographer that follows them around. Like we don't want to take yeah. the camp out of it. We just right. want to inject more camp. Okay, it's, it's definitely so, one of the easy. Sorry, what's that? No, 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 no. I was just saying. So I guess as someone who's not familiar with Spice World, I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. Like, if you had to give me like sort of like elevator speech or just like maybe like two or three adjectives to describe it to like hook me on to the movie, what would it be? Because now I'm really curious about it. So the 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 uh, first the of all, quick, there really isn't a plot. So there, not- it's it's extremely thin. Yeah, the the plot is is like painfully thin in some ways. Uh, the short version is that the Spice Girls are about to play like the biggest show of their careers, and a tabloid um, like muckraking uh, like journalist uh, or like you know like almost like a J Jonah Jameson type. It decides he wants to uh, build up sales and attention on his paper by smearing them and ruining their careers. And yeah. that's the thinnest plot that they travel on, but it's a lot of little scenes of the Spice Girls running the aliens, the Spice Girls running Elton John, the Spice Girls sing on a boat. It's just like, how do we fill this space with ridiculous hijinks before we get to the end? My favorite parts are the cuts, like the uh, like the cutaway bits they do because they have people <laughs> like, like yeah, they have people like Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry playing up like like uh, they have Hugh Laurie playing like a Her- Hercule Poirot type detective. Yeah. Uh, at one point, they have Stephen Fry playing like an old timey British judge, handing down the most ridiculous sentence they possibly could to a like to a pop band. <laughs> it's don't oh forget the, uh, the the boot camp sequence. The boot camp sequence with like the dancing uh, discount Arlie Army is very yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. You know, um, here, here's a question I have about like how you guys uh, you know prepare for your reviews of these uh, you know films and TV shows on your podcast. So in listening to your recent episode, I was taken by you know the the ease like the chemistry like the the natural conversational nature that you guys have and i guess i was wondering like since especially since you guys have that writing background before you go into an episode do you like say okay this is like something we're going to write down as for like how we're going to review this show or do you just kind of like riff you know naturally like stream of consciousness whatever comes to your head about the particular project that you're reviewing it's a little of both. So yeah. depending on the section, it's uh, scripted. So with the summary, we, we break it up the acts because of course we're a movie podcast. So act <laughs> one is heavily scripted. Uh, act three is heavily scripted because that's the, the script, that's the fix. And then everything in the middle, it depends on the project we're working on. Mm-hmm. So when we did Howard the Duck, we knew that there was all this comic book history that we wanted to touch on. Uh, obviously when we do Spice Girls, we'll want to touch on why they were so important, why they were big. 
um, why and, they were the cultural tour de force yes, that they were at the yes. time. Yeah. Uh, and, a, and a little bit of like how that ended and where they are now. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, like, like we have kind of like a formula for like how we structure the episodes and, you know, Jack will go in and he'll do like a much more scripted um, like summary of the film and then the actual fix of it. Uh, aside from that, like we have a structure for like when we, t- when we typically talk about like the Rotten Tomatoes scores, when we typically talk about what works and what doesn't work about the movie. Uh, but outside of that, a lot of it is conversational. A lot of it is, um, you know, improv and riffing and just kind of having fun with each other because, you know, that's just something that we do in our free time anyway. Like when we lived together, like it was, uh, it was pretty much nonstop conversations like this when yeah. we weren't watching episodes of the Venture Brothers. <laughs> yeah. Are, are there any influences in the world of TV and film criticism that you guys like to kind of draw upon for your podcast? Mm-hmm. Any, any critics that you kind of grew up uh, admiring and kind that's of, a good uh, question. no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I, I love to hear people talk about film. Uh, so I tend to go towards listening to directors talk. Uh, critics specifically, we, we, we did talk about like why critics are the way they are. Um, but I, most of my learning how to uh, critique things came from the theater background. Uh, where we would all watch our, each other's shows, sit down and say like, you had to say what worked and you had to say what didn't work. Because a lot of people jump either straight to it's so good, it's good, it's good, or it's it's so bad, it's bad, it's bad. You have to explain why that is. Uh, and I feel with certain film critics, it's a lot of how do they make their own ego, their own voice come through. I'm like, I'm not here for your voice. I'm uh, here to ner- to learn like what worked and what didn't work for the film. Absolutely. Yes, Andrew. Now, when you guys are going to sit down and individually or together and prepare to watch a movie that you're going to review, or maybe it's a new movie or a movie that you just haven't seen. Do you kind of put yourself in what I would say a media blackout is, is like a new movie's coming out, you don't watch the trailers or you don't look at anything that's involved in the social media so you can go in with an open mindset or do you like to look at things that are previewing first? Hmm. I. That's kind of, that's a tough one because we haven't done anything that's like super current just yet. Like everything that we've done, I think the newest movie that we've covered is Saving Christmas, unfortunately. Saving Christmas is the hour. I keep wanting to block that out of my mind, but uh, no, no, Cats is the most recent that we did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Cats was the most recent one. Um, Yeah. yeah, I think. Go ahead. Go ahead. uh, I I think that we. I wouldn't say we necessarily go in blind, but I, I don't th- I don't think that we like seek out a whole lot of information before watching the movie either. Like I, like I think we've once or twice watched a um, like a making of like a, a making of yeah. kind of thing before going in. And I know when we did the last Airbender, you started watching season the, one of, right. of Avatar: yeah. The Last Airbender, so like you with, had that comparison. Um, with like Battlefield Earth, I tried to I tried to read the book. <laughs> going in uh with avatar the last airbender i tried to watch the show because a lot of the reason people were upset was because it didn't match the show um in Understatement. a perfect world <laughs> i would not know anything going into a movie other than the title like if if joe could be my um my taste tester for films be like joe or jack you're gonna like that one like great uh so i can experience it in it's like purest non-judgmental <laughs> form uh so typically, because that that doesn't happen, I will watch the first trailer that comes out or even just the first teaser and judge based on that whether or not I want to watch a movie. For the podcast, it's like, well, what kind of crappy movie matches the the host or the uh, the guest's personality? 
if we have yeah. a guest, if we have a guest, yeah. Now you guys had me thinking of you mentioned cats and yeah, I, I'm, and, and I mean the thing about cats is that it's not it, it, it wasn't a standalone movie. It's obviously based on a long running Broadway musical. Yep. However, um, and uh, Jack, I, I'm pointing mm-hmm. to Jack. You're you're the one on the right, right, Jack? I'm the one with the plan. Okay, okay, just making sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jack, you being from the theater community, uh, yeah. maybe you're familiar with the, the reputation that Cats has, which is like it's this you know silly show with no plot whatsoever. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, I guess uh, unless you liked Cats, did you like Cats? Like, are no, you a big fan? Of- no, not at all. Because <laughs> <laughs> I tried to watch the Broadway musical on uh-huh. a DVD. I think after like about five minutes, I just gave up on it because it just didn't seem like it was going to be something I was interested in. Um, so having that as its base, like once the movie version came out with like Taylor Swift, Jason Derulo, all these big stars, James Corden, uh, were you going into it thinking, okay, this is going to be a shit show because it's cats or did you think, all right, there, look, there seems to be a lot of hype around this movie. I I think this might be something. Here's what you did wrong. You watch the movie cats first. Then you watch the stage show and you're like, this is refreshing. <laughs> I, so I, I'm like, I'm a theater person, but I'm a bad theater person. Uh, like, yeah, I think the way you framed it was that it was uh, haha. I was a film guy the whole time. Right. Yeah. Like I was like, I snuck in there. I'm like, I'm, I'm stealing all your tricks, but I I'm, don't <laughs> care about any of the musicals, uh, especially cats. Um, but my best friend is a, a musical director. So anytime I'm going to do something in that realm, he's like, so here's what you need to know about cats. And we actually <laughs> had him guest on the show because I'm like, I, you, I'm not going to be able to put it better than you did. Uh, yeah. Rob uh, brought a lot of, a lot of additional background knowledge that neither of us had. So that was, he was, he was an, in, an invaluable guest uh, for that one. But that'll happen a lot where you'll have, the source material is so bad for something that you're like, you're not going to, unless you throw it away and start from scratch, the movie's going to be bad. Like you can't fix it unless you throw the entire thing away. Yep. Yeah. What was wrong with the cats movie? I mean, taking aside the fact that like, Oh, there's no story in cats. Mm -hmm. um, What went wrong? Cause me, look, I even, even though I knew that cats, the musical itself, maybe not the best musical, I like the hype surrounding it. It seemed like, okay, like they're going to do something different with this movie and it's going to be great. Like, what do you think made that movie fall apart uh, besides the story itself? I think the shortest answer is that Tom Hooper as a director really didn't know what like, does. He really doesn't truly understand how to adapt um, a musical for the film. Uh, he, like the the degree to which he cut out connective material in the music that was really important the degree to which the uh, the visuals are blinding and nonsensical to an extent well, i think uh, and his overall treatment of like the the uh, the visual effects team just uh, like, I, I think he he was he, he was in in over his head and unwilling to accept that i think i think the the thing that screw them the most was that they gave the cgi department no time to do their job yeah so a lot of the what the what the movie is known for is how um this like uncanny valley feel to the effects uh and the effects team was like we need like years to do what you're asking and he's like well you got two months wow that's insane they gave them they gave them an absurdly small amount of time 
Oh Lord. Yeah. So Andrew, are you familiar with the, uh, the cats, the singing and dancing cats? <laughs> you know, I am. I never watched the full movie. I started it and fell asleep and I was like, okay, <laughs> like an IPA here to me. I don't understand it, but it's out there and maybe someone will like it. Maybe someone doesn't, but the songs in cats, I know because mm-hmm. I have since I was a kid when they came out and I was like, these songs in the musical are amazing. So I don't really feel like what I saw in the movie before falling asleep really paid justice to that. And then the look of the cats and the characters, I was just like, okay, this is kind of creepy. I don't want to look at that. <laughs> like they- <laughs> That's the other thing I was going to say about it is that it, they didn't give enough time to make the movie, but they also made the movie way too late. Like if they'd made this either when cats had first come out or even in the 90s, I think it would have had a more of a draw. It's almost this weird relic of theater now because we don't do musicals like Cats anymore. Now, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I God, it's like with musical movies, it's it's it could go either way. Like, it, I feel like it could either be a uh, phenomenal otherworldly experience or mm-hmm. because, you know, you're trying to capture the musical theater experience on film, it could turn into a disaster. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, is, is that is that kind of why you guys are, are like eh, to reviewing musical movies is because it's just, it, you know, sometimes, well, not sometimes, but most of the time it's hard to get it right. Um. I, I think in general, it is difficult to adapt from stage to screen, uh, especially a musical, because uh, being in the same space as where the musical is happening, that's how, to me, that's what makes it so enjoyable, is you're, you're feeding off of the actors uh, being in the audience, the actors are feeding off of you, the audience, and you don't have that in a film. Um. We wouldn't. I'm not against derazzing de- any uh, further musicals. Um, might give it a minute just because Cats was phenomenally bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Cat, Cats took us so long to actually put the episode together for in terms of like like the research we had to do and the prep work because we did uh, we end up doing a lot more research on that one because you not only have the film to deal with you not only have the stage show to deal with but you also have the original t.s Eliot book of oh, poems yeah. to, de- uh, to deal with because that all dates back to like the early 20th century um to like these old poems that he wrote for his godchildren uh that probably weren't initially meant to be published but then like he started sending them out and testing them on like the the letterhead of the publishing house that he worked for and so on it's it all it gets so weird but like the the constant thread through all of it is like there's nothing connecting these this is like there's no plot or like real like there's no real story happening here but all of it took us so long that it like completely pushed back our, our production schedule. Like we were supposed to take a break in December and then we ended up releasing four consecutive episodes. That's why mommy dearest (laughs) isn't happening this season because of cats. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Oh, those damn cats. Um, so actually, you know what, speaking of research, like, uh, because that's a big part of TV and film criticism is research and, and look, Looking into looking into everything and and knowing what you're talking about, uh, do you guys enjoy that process or is it just like oh my god research so much time and effort and uh, like how do you feel about that process? I I love it. Yeah, uh, I I enjoy it too. I think the the thing that we've suffered from over the past couple months is that Jack has had to take on the bulk of the research. 
just because uh, I, I had been working a job that was working me like like 80, 90 hours a week uh, that I just recently left. So like I, like I can jump in and start joining in on that process of research again. But uh, yeah, I think that's part of what made like the last couple of a couple of episodes, like particularly like Cats mm-hmm. and Saving Christmas, like so difficult is that like Jack had to do all of that alone, essentially. And I felt really bad about that. No, but I then mean- I also took the edit. Yeah, you take the edit, which I, I hate. So I have no problem with that. Uh, I, I like doing the research because, you know, first we watch the movie and you're you're like, wow, that was really bad. And then the research, you find out why. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time, most of the time, the Spice, Spice World really, there really wasn't a reason. It just kind of just wasn't good. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sorry, Andrew, you got a question? Now, would you guys have a movie fact or something that you found through your research that you would consider the most surprising or shocking to you? Oh, well, there's been a couple that we found that were like genuinely fascinating. Um, I think I have I think I have a tie for my for my favorite one was from Battlefield Earth uh, that there was a producer on that film who was actually like a dry cleaner from Turkey, if I'm not mistaken, so, yeah. uh, who embezzled like half of the budget on German art or German oh, stocks. It was German stocks. stocks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's part of the reason why that movie's terrible is because they lost half their money on this guy embezzling it. Uh, and then my other favorite is from nothing but trouble. Um, so Dan Aykroyd did not want to direct that movie. Like he tried to pass it off to a number of different directors and like a bunch of people were like, Oh no, I love the script, but no, I only do my own work or like, no, this sounds terrible. I want nothing to do with it. Uh, so to keep the deal going, he agreed to take on the director's seat. Uh, and, as, and part of his efforts in that in, as the director and also a producer was to just green light everything that the tech crew wanted to do. So like, there's a working roller coaster in that movie. It's like part of the set because he didn't tell these people no. Like there, there were people on the crew who were like, this is the best job I've ever had. I love this. To the point that when Chevy Chase started to like be a prima donna on set and like disparage Dan Aykroyd because he's getting he's getting paid less than than himself, the crew offered to like maim him. <laughs> like, to, like to back up Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> Wow. I officially love for that movie now. <laughs> that uh, nothing but trouble is the one movie that we've watched so far. I'm like, <laughs> I genuinely like this movie now. I don't know. I kind of felt that way about parts of Howard the Duck. Uh, I know, I know, you didn't like it quite as much on your second viewing. Yeah, uh, but but uh, yeah, no, nothing but trouble is still like that was so much fun. <laughs> like all the movies we've watched so far, I'm like, I'm so glad I never have to see that again. Except for nothing but trouble. I'm like, I'll, I'll probably watch that again. Yeah. I'm interested to see that uh, that Blu-ray that got yeah. put out. Oh my goodness, I like that. So, uh, Jack and Joe from the Durazzled podcast, and by the way, Durazzled D E R A Z Z L E D. Definitely find them get podcasts. It's it's such an awesome listening experience. I love it. Uh, what is the uh, TV show or film that you're you're reviewing next for for your next episode? We're doing Spice World, mm-hmm. and then after that, we are going to cover this year's. Razzie nominations. Yeah, they're announcing them like oh. the day before we do the next episode. Mm-hmm. So it's like the timing is beautifully perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, now, uh, if it weren't for uh, 
the Razzies, like, let, let's say, like, if the Razzie Awards did not exist, like, would you guys still, like, do you guys think you'll still, you, you still be doing the kind of podcast you do? Uh, it might be a little different. It might be more akin to, like, the original idea for a mm-hmm. show that we had, but I think we would still be doing it. I think, I, I know, like, I, I think we both love this this uh, this project. Yeah. We have a lot of fun with it. Uh, I know Jack doesn't like editing, but I've found that I love like that whole process and getting to like form the episode and build it up into like this you know this this thing that people get to consume and get to get to check out and enjoy. And I like yeah taking a, a film, breaking it down to its barest parts, picking out the pieces that work, and rebuilding it. Because a lot of this is stuff that we would probably be doing in casual conversation yeah. anyway. Uh, just like whether it was just the two of us or like us and another group of friends, but it's just, there's something much more, there's something much more fulfilling. I think about doing it in this structured manner and like doing something greater with it and like putting it out into the world like this. I think the, the thing that the Razzies have done for us is I never would have picked cats. Like that is not a movie (laughs) I would ask anyone to try to fix. Uh, but it it challenges me as a writer Mm -hmm. to look at a thing that I've, I'm, out of my depth on and do it anyway try it same thing with saving christmas i would never try to <laughs> rewrite a, a evangelical um propaganda movie but hey we did <laughs> well i mean we, well we did i mean you wrote quote, a sequel unquote. that erased it from existence but <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> so uh this might be a silly question since your podcast is based like influenced by you know the idea of the Razzies but I've always wondered about the Razzies like in terms of like uh, is it is it just cruel is there a certain cruelty to just saying oh these are the most terrible movies of the year like these these directors and producers they may have worked hard on it but they're terrible or do you think it's very healthy for that kind of criticism to come out there just so uh maybe those directors and producers can learn from it and and try to make a better movie next time. I would not describe the Razzies as a classy organization. <laughs> no, no. I, I think, I think that there is something to be said for like pointing out like, Hey, yeah, this was like, this was a really bad movie. Like among everything that got released this year, like it came, like there can be some value from that. And I think that's a lot of what we look for is like, what can be learned from those failures or what good was, or what good came along with those failures. Uh, but the Razzies themselves, they, uh, they're more of an outline for us than in uh yeah you know something we idolize they're not a they're not a guiding principle for us they're more of like a um i'm trying to think of a good they're, metaphor they're a buffet here. a buffet of bad movies that we just kind of like pick and choose uh, kind of yeah but the they can come across as malicious and that's something that we don't want to do that's something that we've openly criticized a number of times too like there there's there are times where like they put in uh, they'll put in like a joke nomination for like if somebody appears in 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 drag in a movie, they'll like nominate them along with uh, with the women that are that are being nominated or with Howard or with Howard with, with Howard the Duck. They they uh, they they gave um, like an ensemble award to like everyone who was in the duck suit, which is like, that's grossly unfair. Yeah. Like, that's like it's especially once, you know, the work that went into and maybe the suit. It, well, it was it was creepy, but the amount of work that went into making that duck suit uh, and the technology that was made that came out of the process. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So in some way, in some ways, like we're like, we will use the, the uh, like we'll use the Razzies as kind of like a, uh, like 
not as a roadmap, but as like side show, like side show attractions along that roadmap to mm-hmm. help kind of guide where we're going to go. And then we figure out the path to actually get there and, you know, get there effectively and get there, uh, get there in a way that, um, that uh, is satisfying. And it, is, it isn't just like a cheap shot or a, like, or a snide jab. Mm, gotcha. And I'm sure, uh, and maybe this will be the, the last question I ask, um, and Andrew, you can always jump in if you have one final question to ask. Uh, you know, there may be uh, aspiring or present podcasters that are looking to you guys as inspiration. Like how, you know, how did they get from like, you know, you know being one of many unknown podcasters to suddenly being number one in the TV and film category on the Good Pods uh, podcasting app? Um, you know, what, what, what would be your advice to those uh, aspiring people looking to create content and have some kind of a following? I think it's absolutely community. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's that's been the strongest move we've made. I think is like through social media, uh, like just connecting with other podcasters. Like Jack interacts with a lot of people through like groups on Facebook. Uh, I do a lot of a lot of stuff through Twitter, uh, communicating with other uh, indie podcasters, and uh, that you know that has translated into like success on Good Pods. That's translated into. new opportunities to collaborate with people and to you know, do cool stuff that we might not have otherwise done. And as you know, pushed us to make our show the best possible thing that it can, than it can be. It gives us, uh, you know, more, more gas in the tank. In general with everything that we work, cause we're, we both work on different projects, other projects beyond the podcast. Uh, and I'm a bit of a hypocrite saying this, but I try to work on just making the product the highest quality I can and not worry about the numbers. Uh, the numbers will come. I know. We were just talking about this earlier. Yeah, we were just talking about I'm this like, earlier. I feel like we got a really good podcast, but like, where's the audience? And I know, like, let's just keep working on making the yeah. podcast. Solid. And yeah, and the reality is, like, we've built a we've built a like a small but dedicated audience. Like, we have like we have a good number of people who like are, who who will openly tell us, like, yeah, I can't wait to see what you do with this. Uh, whenever we first announce that we're like doing a watch along for something, or that we've yeah. picked our next movie, or whatever it is that we have that we've announced uh, coming down the pipeline. Yeah, you know, we have we have people that are that uh, are actively subscribing and listening and engaging and sharing even like other we have there's several other podcasters that just like openly you know just put our stuff out there like as though it were their own in some cases and it's just I mean not that they're trying to steal it or anything just like they, they just really like they love it that much yeah. and want and want to celebrate it that much that they uh, yeah it's just wild to see like this this you know goofy little show that we that we decided to do uh has started building some traction good well you know i'm so happy for you guys uh from one pad one from one podcaster to another and i'm pretty sure andrew will will agree uh, in that sense uh so thank you i mean jack and joe from the derazzled D-E-R-A-Z-Z-L-E-D. Find them wherever you get podcasts. Uh, if you want uh, some uh, wonderful, entertaining, uh, conversational criticism on TV shows, movies, uh, they're really the destination that you need to go to. Uh, thank you guys so much for your time, man. I mean, and, you know, take care and and enjoy uh, the Steelers because that's all I know about Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> the Anything Show with John Francois is on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Join us on YouTube, Facebook.com slash The Anything Show, and Instagram and TikTok at Anything Show Francois. Join Andrew Vandertunt on Lifestyle of a Gay Black Boy wherever you get podcasts, and on Instagram and TikTok at AJ Vandertunt.